0: Hello friends, thank you for listening to another Rod Tucker says podcast. I've been away for a while from this particular podcast because my wife Anna and I and some friends have spent some time planting a church in our neighborhood. It's going rather well, but the simple vision of it is we want to be a simple, sustainable church that empowers the neighborhood and that means we need to use our time and energy and resources in a way that is empowering. And, you know, it's something that we have felt the church has been called to for a long time and in many ways has lost its way all around the world, um, specifically and especially in North America, where uh, we see a lot of unintentional, some intentional, which is sad, but a lot of unintentional empire-building, wasting of people, and wasting of resources to actually kind of move God's kingdom forward. And I know that sounds harsh, and I know it's strong, but that's one of the reasons I've been away. We've been focusing on uh, Edison Chapel. I've been fundraising, trying to get financial partners to join and give to what Edison Chapel is through edisonchapel.com. And um, we've been able to do some pretty big things, even, even in our first couple months of starting. But today what I wanted to talk to you about briefly was an understanding of how we use the Bible. And I think that some of the reason for my wanting to talk about this is because I have seen too many people on social media using the Bible for their own gain. And what I mean by that is they are using it to push their agenda or to simply affirm what they believe and i want to talk about why using the bible to only affirm what you believe why that is crazy dangerous and i also want to talk a little bit about how we need to use the bible like i said earlier And so, some of the transitions that I've been noticing in culture is, you know, there was a while, several years, where um, television and the Bible were not mixing well. And there were organizations that were using the Bible to talk about financial prosperity in a way that was actually really harming a lot of people. And it, it went unnoticed because the people that were being harmed many of them were the urban poor, and they were receiving promises through television that the Bible and their faith would meet them with financial prosperity that God would bless them if they would live generously. And they were not um, they, they, were, they were not immune to this message because when you're in poverty you want to move out. As quickly as you can of poverty, and if and if there's a televangelist telling you, give me money, sow a seed into my ministry, and God's going to bless you with double or triple, and sharing stories about that happening, it becomes very dangerous for you and your family. So the Bible was used to propel and move forward an agenda, and and, and that agenda was was harmful to a lot of people. Now the transition that I see. That has happened as we've moved away from that um, with some different conversations about money uh, that, that have happened within the christian worldview like you know dave ramsey entered the scene and and started talking about saving your money and, and and my hope is that someday we'll come full circle and we'll get back to jesus and how jesus wants us to use our time and energy and resources because that's a very different conversation um, jesus tends to demand everything and says that uh, his kingdom, the kingdom that he is building is much more than how much we value the things of this world, and somehow we've tied them to our faith. But the transition that I've seen happening is people have started to learn because of maybe what they've seen in the past with televangelism and that has made its way into church and people proving points and putting statements of faith on their websites that include so much more than was written at the Council of Nicaea in the Apostles' Creed and in the Nicene Creed. What I've seen is that people have begun to teach and preach these things and then now I, on social media, can claim my own personal beliefs and use the Bible to defend them, and it's so, so, so dangerous, friends. I think some of this started with John Calvin back in the day when he wrote Calvin's Institutes. John Calvin was a lawyer, and he sought through the Institutes to prove logically um, an idea that, that is shared amongst some denominations nowadays called TULIP, which which begins with the premise of the total depravity of man, and Calvin sought to prove the total depravity of man. And once once he felt like he had done that, he could have a logical progression of thought that would make the case for everything that he was trying to say about God. And because he was a lawyer, it was an argument. And, and the evolution of all of that comes when we use the Bible to defend our arguments. Now, what I want to say is that the Bible was never intended to affirm your specific agendas or defend your arguments. And someone might say, well, no, it needs to affirm what I believe. But when what we believe has been added on to so much so that we don't have just a simple engine of belief, we have an engine with pinwheels sticking all over it. And it's actually, it doesn't really work anymore, which, you know, this is back to one of the reasons Anna and I and some friends started our church, Edison Chapel, is that there's been so much excess added onto the church that we we want to take a swing at trying to be simple and sustainable so that we can empower a neighborhood, so that we can be outside of ourselves. But when we get to all of this add-on, we lose the reality that the Bible is meant to lead us to Christ. If you read from the beginning of the Bible all the way through the end and you and you read all these different letters and all these different books and you explore this library of books, you will find that people are constantly being slowly walked toward Christ. Even Israel in the desert, God is moving them to a way of peace that Jesus will bring and he's walking with them in their messiness and in their stupidity and they are doing a lot of crazy things and calling it God and calling it God's will but God is moving them toward Jesus so when we finally arrive at Jesus in the Bible we realize that this was the intention the whole time the Bible was intended to walk us toward Christ to lead us to Christ that, that term, leading to Christ, is something that we have dealt with for many years. You know, who did you lead to Christ? And the reality is, as we can lead people to Christ, so the Bible's intention and purpose is also to lead us to Christ. And so we find ourselves in this place where we have to treat the Bible either as the thing that is leading us to Christ or the thing that is affirming my own belief system so that I can use it as a weapon. Now, Ephesians talks about the sword of the Spirit being the Word of God. And I don't want someone to get, get all argumentative with me in their head right now because this is what I'm trying to dive into. The Bible is not intended to be used as a weapon and so to even say, but Ephesians says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. We have to be very careful with how we understand what's being written. Otherwise, I'm going to take that verse and I'm going to say the Bible is my offensive weapon against people who disagree with me or who do not understand truth the way that I understand truth. I was having a conversation on Facebook the other day and I probably should not have been having this conversation on Facebook, but the reality is, friends, none of us are immune to the the type of poll that Facebook has on our culture. And, and someone ended up writing, I know you and I know what type of person you are. And when I read those words, I thought, wow, because of the words I've wrote, written or the words that this other person's written or the interpretation of our dialogue that we're having, this person began to label me. And in so labeling me, they discredited the things I was saying. And I had a hand in that with them. And it reminded me of Soren Kierkegaard's quote, Once you label me, you negate me. And it just brought to mind that we are constantly labeling each other. We're labeling the most vulnerable. And we are labeling anyone who thinks differently than us and, and, and we don't know it but it is an unintentional effort to discredit them so that we don't have to listen to them. All sides of the political spectrum does this, but it the, the the concerning piece of all of this is that Christians, people who say that they follow Jesus are doing this to each other. Now and it's because we use the Bible to move our own agenda forward and So now, the meat of what I wanted to talk to you today about is how do we use the Bible. And and the end of this is going to be, use the Bible to lead you, lead yourself to Christ. And be challenged by Christ's life and Jesus' call on your life as opposed to using it to affirm the things that um, you need to feel good about who you are and what you believe because Your life looks nothing like Jesus's, and so let him challenge you. Let the Bible take you to Christ so that you can be convicted, and so that you can remain humble, and so that you can live in repentance. But to get to that end, which I guess you could stop listening now if you wanted, but the interesting part is next, to get to that end, I want to use some examples And I'll start with Romans, Romans, and we'll go all the way to Romans chapter nine, where in Romans chapter nine, Paul writes this, this little verse, and he says, what if God choosing to show his wrath and make his power known created with great patience, the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction. And what if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy? whom he prepared in advance for glory. And forgive me if some of that's wrong because I'm just speaking from memory there. But when we read that verse, it's very clear that Paul is talking about this concept that many people have debated over and over and over again, this concept of predestination or determinism, God creating people for hell to make um, his own glory known to the objects that he created for mercy. And I I led this um, discussion on this verse in a Bible study one time, and there were probably 20 people there. And I asked them, you know, when you read this verse, what if God choosing to show His wrath and make His power known, have you ever noticed the first two words? And everyone looked down, and, and, and one man spoke up, and he said, no, I had never noticed that those two words are what if. I just thought Paul was writing, this is what God does, This is who God is, and I just need to accept it. But to understand by Paul saying, what if, he's setting up a a, a hypothetical situation that's saying, what if God did do this? Or even better, God could do this. And so we backtrack to Romans and we say, well, what's going on in the book of Romans? And Jesus has risen from the dead. And there are people who follow Christ all around the world at this point, the known world at that time. And they're trying to follow Jesus, and at the same time, they're immersed in the cultures that they're in. And the Roman culture is very unique because the Roman culture says that Caesar is Lord. The Roman culture, when Rome was sacked in 410 A.D., Um, St. Jerome said the light of the world has gone out. There was an idea that the gospel of Caesar, the good news of Caesar was coming to the world and it was paved roads and it was running water and it was entertainment and it was order and security and law. And Rome believed that it held the good news. It held the gospel and that Caesar was Lord. And here enters Jesus in the middle of all of this, and Jesus says things like, I am the light of the world. Where people had heard, it is from the hand of Caesar, you live and you die, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the way that you live. And Jesus even goes as far as to say in one of the Gospels, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, speaking of tax money, and give to God what is God's, making the claim that even the minerals that made the coin that came from the fish that Peter is holding or whichever apostle is holding belongs to God. So give to Caesar the little things that he made for himself, but everything else belongs to God, which includes your life. And so Paul is writing this letter to Roman Christians who are trying to follow Jesus, who have given their lives to this new Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but at the same time immersed in a culture that says Caesar is Lord, and now you understand why someone might say, You cannot serve two masters. And so we get to this point where Paul is writing this letter and he gets to Romans 9 and he says, What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy whom he prepared in advance? For glory and you find Paul saying, God is so much bigger than Caesar. Where you think Caesar could take your life and is Lord over you, where he, you, you, you've been raised to believe that Caesar provides all of your needs, God could prepare a person for destruction. God can create a person for life. And we know from the whole scope of the word of God that God creates us all for life that he's slow to anger that he wants no one to perish so he doesn't create people to perish but paul says in romans he uses such strong language to say this 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 military power of caesar this man who claims to be lord god is so much bigger and badder and better than you must submit to the reality that Jesus is Lord. And he says in Romans 1, all of creation is without excuse. And he continues to build this case all the way through Romans 9. But most books on Romans that, that are not commentaries, you know, they kind of stop before they get to Romans 9, because Romans 9 has always been used as an argument. But what if instead of using it as an argument, we use it to walk us to Christ and see what Paul is really doing in Romans? Or wonder what he's really doing in Romans. Maybe he's writing to Christians who live in the largest military superpower in the world, and he's telling them, don't trust in your government. Trust in a God who's bigger and better than that. And now we have something open in our minds Because the Bible is no longer an argument or a a tool to help us win. But it is something that leads us to Christ and convicts us and humbles us in our own culture. Which is also the largest military superpower in the history of the world, like Rome. The other example that I'll share with you is Hebrews. Where we get into the idea that... Christ is the final sacrifice. People have used this type of language to say, you know, and I'll summarize it very generally and almost childlike for you God was mad at you. Jesus died for you and made God happy. And Jesus is the one who made you look good for God so that God didn't smite you in his righteous anger. And that comes from an understanding of Hebrews. That comes from saying Christ is a sacrifice for you. And if we take that and we translate that directly into our own lives and we use it as an argument to to try to prove that people need this sacrifice, that they're bad, not only do we start the gospel with shame and we start in Genesis chapter 3, you are ashamed, you're naked and ashamed, but we also forget the reality of who God is and we don't start in Genesis 1 where God created humans and he said we are good. There's a difference between starting with original sin and starting with original glory and beauty. As the Bible begins and God acts the place where God actually wants us to start. Because if we start in Genesis 1, we can be led to Christ. If we start in Genesis 3, we can be led to our own shame. But if we know that there's something deep within us that God has, has created and called good and it is actually us, then we can understand and embrace the good news of Jesus so much easier. And so we dive into Hebrews where Christ is the final sacrifice, and we say, why would that be written like that? And then you realize, much like the Romans, the book of Romans was written to the Romans, the military power, who needed to know that Jesus was better than Caesar and more powerful. So the Hebrews were living a performance-based sacrificial, sacrifice, sacrificial system, where they were trying to get close to God. Even though Jesus had come and told them, you don't have to live like this anymore, they're still living like this. And so Paul says, listen, you live in a sacrificial la- a- a system. I want you to understand Jesus is the final sacrifice. You don't have to live like this anymore. You live in a system, Romans, of the Caesar. You don't have to live like this anymore. Jesus is your Lord. You live in a sacrificial system, you Hebrews. You don't have to li- live like this anymore. Jesus is your final sacrifice. In first John John does this a couple different times. He calls Jesus life. He calls God love and he says God is light. And that's not like a direct thing. He's not he's not being a scientist saying life is God or light is God or love is God. He's saying God is these things that you know in the deepest parts of you and that you see in the truest Moments of your life, and you understand from the very beginning of time when life existed God is that, God is those things, this is who you're trusting in your faith. And it's almost like these letters the Hebrews, the Romans, 1 John, all of them are these creeds being written that say, This is what we believe, and this is how we're going to believe. And we can choose to let the Bible lead us to Jesus, or friends. We can pull out one verse and use it for our agenda to show someone else that we're right and that we have memorized parts of the Bible better than others. And that is called proof texting. And that is using the Bible as your own personal weapon as opposed to letting it be the actual sword that it is that cuts through bone and marrow, that cuts into your soul and leads you to Christ. And so my hope for us is is as we use the Bible how we use the Bible is important. And that we understand that the way that we need to be using the Bible is simple. We use the Bible to lead ourselves to Christ and to live, to learn to live how Jesus lived. We do not use the Bible to shame another or to win an argument or to prove a political belief. We use the Bible To lead us to Christ. And in that way, we can call it the Word of God. Because friends, it's not an argument. It's not a case. It's simply God's Word because it leads us to the capital W Word of God. Jesus Christ. And may it be that in our lives. Thank you for spending this time with me. Thank you for listening. Go in peace.